Alright folks, welcome back to the Expanse Commentaries, finishing them off more than two years later, but we're doing Season 5, Season 6, the real grand finale, which is just one giant glorious movie from Books 5 and Book 6 of the Expanse in literature, two of my favorite books, let alone sci-fi books, favorite books period of all times, Nemesis Games, Book 5 of the Expanse, and Babylon's Ashes, Book 6, are the two books that got me into the Expanse, they're the first two I read all the way, they're the first two I read when I had sort of gotten back into the series big time because Amazon had taken it from sci-fi and just taken it to a whole new level of quality. Um, and what I love uh, season four, actually maybe more than book four of, uh, of uh, the books, which is unusual. Normally I prefer the books even to the great seasons. Uh, it speaks for itself as just a great sort of Star Trek, uh, you know, planet side uh, story um, about different groups and working together and so forth. Brilliant piece of sci-fi, um, and it does set up the Marco stuff, and it does set up Bobby coming back and Avasarala making her return and so forth. Uh, but you guys have all seen this. I'm going to do five and six. I'm going to uh, assume you have seen five and six. I do about a 15-minute intro here about where I've been, where I'm coming back, why I'm starting with the Expanse, and my sort of very general feelings about the seasons, um, but mostly I love them. So if you want to listen to the intro, uh, it's about 15 minutes long. Otherwise, jump about 15 minutes forward, uh, and uh, we'll get you right into the countdown. So here we go with the podcast intro in three, two, one, rock it. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, yes, it's true. We are back. No better way to get Bizzlecast 2.0 or maybe 3.0 at this point rolling than to start where we stopped commentaries for the excellent TV show based on the legendary novels The Expanse. There's a ton of very good sci-fi on streaming right now, like Andor, starring Diego Luna, which I still can't believe is happening if you know anything about my obsession with Rogue One, and specifically Jyn Erso and Cassian Andor. We also have The Peripheral, which is a promising William Gibson cyberpunk translation to screen that we're constantly waiting for, the master and creator, basically, of cyberpunk, uh, with the fantastic Chloe Grace Moritz. But I do miss the days of a space opera with cliffhangers like Battlestar to the Expanse. And while doing Expanse commentaries for the final couple seasons, which is what we're going to be doing here, and I'll talk about why in a sec real quick, um, I might just be talking to super fans and uh, uh, finishing off the Expanse series uh, with, this comment with these commentaries as I start getting rolling again. Um, and it is a flawed show, but, uh, that between the source material and the cast, nevertheless, keeps finding ways for truly great moments, both human and cinematic, increasingly throughout the series, and no more, uh, is, um, the, no more is the case, um, than the last two seasons. Thought to be dead after season three, a rowdy Firefly-esque fan campaign to save the show, mixed with Prime Video's smarts, brought the Expanse back for three more seasons, well, two and a half, uh, with a jump in quality, however, from, filling to, from filming to writing to, yes, even performances from actors I already liked or loved, and it's extremely tangible starting in season four, which was the first on Prime, the season to bring me back to the show, and the one to get me to read the books, which I had fallen in love with, like what happened with The Witcher after the video game. Love this show, like The Witcher, but I love these books so, so, so much, but it wouldn't have been possible without Prime rebooting um, 
uh, not only rebooting with book four of The Expanse, but rebooting with what I think is the one season of the show that's actually better than the book uh, um, uh, for a number of reasons. Um, that being said, I actually started by reading books five and six uh, as sort of an experiment, having seen the first four seasons and knowing that we were sort of caught up in the first four books after some weirdness where the books would switch, mis- uh, switch mid-season. Um, and it was indeed books five and six that made uh, The Expanse into religion for me, uh, literarily speaking, like Dune and Lord of the Rings. I, put it, I do put it up on that level. Um, and so after an amazing season four, which just improved upon a book four uh, from The Expanse, as I mentioned before, um, I was both concerned but also kind of at peace with the reality that the final season would have an impossible task uh, to match what I consider to be basically perfect science fiction writing and execution in books five and six, um, uh, Nemesis Games and Babylon's Ashes uh, in The Expanse. Um, But, as I said before, between the material coming to the screen and the actors themselves, uh, they keep finding ways uh, to elevate um, these final seasons to be actually better than I expected, given given my super high, impossible-to-reach expectations, and putting it into the uh, the annals, the annals of TV and streaming history, as far as I'm concerned, uh, with just what they do visually, um, and with some of the just you know, uh, you know, knock your socks off, um, you know, blow up your brain, great solo performances from the actors. I wasn't sure where to jump back in with these commentaries. I'm going to get us in soon. Uh, avoid long intros here. Um, uh, b- and, you know, <laughs> really the last main series I did, even though I've done a bunch with uh, Jason Jimbo Ritter about DC Marvel Comics and so forth over the last few years, and that's been great, the sort of main little cast with me doing a lot of solo stuff or solo-driven stuff stopped after I did season one of The Expanse, and I didn't even finish out uh, that arc, uh, the Leviathan Wakes arc, book one of uh, The Expanse, uh, which went into mid-season two, causing problems for the next few seasons going forward in terms of everything happening uh, or starting over mid-season. Um, but that arc does end amazingly with the, with the Miller-Julie Mao arc. Um, and I didn't even get into season two, um, even though I got through season one. But I, I, I do apologize about that. But the reality is three major things happened at the time of the recording, uh, and this will just be a, a sort of quick recap as to why I've been, you know, sort of on and offline so irregularly. I mean, I'm very proud of the Dune uh, commentary I did last fall and the interviews I did with Adrian Tchaikovsky, a very up-and-comer, up-and-coming sci-fi writer who I was very lucky to get to do some interviews with uh, that I released earlier this year. Uh, but mostly it's been, uh, you know, jumping on opportunities um, or just my favorite stuff. It hasn't been super consistent, but the bottom line is sort of spring and summer of 2020 when I was trying to do all the expanse commentaries, a, uh, you know, COVID became truly horrific and global and just dominating every factor of life and just making everyone depressed and scared and upset. Uh, B, I was facing life and professional issues that, you know, forced me to push podcasting to the side, which I always hate to do, but you gotta, you know, take care of real world stuff first, even though this is my true love. Um, And C, uh, you know, I know this keeps happening with people that I'm propping up constantly, like 
Joss Whedon, for example, turns out to be a super creep after all these years, despite his brilliant work. Um, uh, I, the final seasons, in addition to the pressure I sort of put on because of my love for the books they were based on, was really sullied at the time with the Alex, Kam um, I'm sorry, the Cass Anvar uh, scandal. And while I love the character of Alex Kamal in the books so much, and specifically Jefferson Mays's audiobook performance of him, which is reminiscent of Cass Anvar's performance, but is different, like with all the major characters. Um, uh, and he's much different. He's much more likable. I mean, even before we knew Castle was a creep, it, you know, Alex in the book is more likable, uh, more lovable uh, than the one in this show, um, and a more grounded uh, and more sort of the moral heart of what's going on. Uh, but then with the cast Anvar, you know, he's a creep and a stalker and a weirdo scandal, and he's never going to act again, and we're going to have to kill him and sort of write him out of season five, and he's not even going to be in season six. Uh, it was tough because... Uh, with all the great relationships in The Expanse, and this will be my final general thought, and I'm going to count you in to, if it wasn't clear already, um, uh, we're going to start with Season 5, Episode 1, uh, and I'm going to count you in to that called Exodus, Movement of the People. Um, but anyways, him developing in Season uh, in Book 5 and solidifying in Book 6, 7, and 8, and so forth, a best friendship, platonic best friendship with Bobby Draper. Uh, they become my two favorite characters, and then Deep becomes my favorite relationship, sort of like a Black Widow, uh, Natasha, Steve Rogers, Captain America thing, or whatever. Uh, but even if they had attempted that in season five, they were already trying to limit Cass's screen time. It was impossible to write him out. So all of those factors of COVID plus creeps, uh, you know, scared me away from finishing it. Um, so, uh, now that I'm coming back, and this is a bit of a warm-up, and I do love it, and I, I haven't really gotten a chance to talk about the final seasons of these bands, because I love the book so much, um, uh, I wasn't going to come back and <laughs> do seasons two and three, because, honestly, they're far inferior to the books, and like I said, until Prime uh, got it and really upgraded every aspect of it in season four, um, it, it just, it's not even really in the same league as the books. Um, and then all of a sudden you have a season four, as I've mentioned numerous times now, I think is better than book four, and that'll be a separate discussion. Um, and some of that has to do with book four, in my opinion, being sort of the weakest and most inconsistent, uh, and sort of illogical of the books. That's a, to a different discussion for another day, but they're both great. Um, but the Marco Inaro saga, uh, of both seasons and books five and six is extremely complicated and obviously super politically relevant, no matter the time. Um, and if anything, uh, you know, this is the, the critiques, the criticisms of season five, at least, uh, which is my favorite book, uh, Nemesis Games, where the crew actually scatters, but we get it from their perspective, and they have their own journeys while this genocide is going on, and they try and get back together, and then hopefully save the universe. Um, it's almost too loyal at times. Uh, so I figured we'd just roll right in the extended show finale of seasons of five, uh, five and six, um, and uh, do a little bit of liter literary critique of it, talking about the books, not just like this was in the book and this wasn't in the book, but just sort of talking about different decisions, because, you know, uh, Ty Franken and and, um, and Daniel Abraham, who play, uh, play, who are the two guys that make up James Corey, he's actually two writers, Frank and Abraham, uh, Frank's a little bit more involved in this show, at least publicly, but they're both very involved, got to do some different twists on things they did in the book, mostly 
honestly, like with The Witcher, I, I agree with the decisions in the original material of the book uh, and wish they had as well, considering it was their own material. Uh, but there are some, like making, um, you know, the big one, of course, um, I'll get us into the countdown, is, you know, making... Uh, um, a G, a conglomerate of a, a bunch of awesome Belter characters um, over the course of the seasons and just giving her a ton of material and screen time until she becomes one of the main characters and the driving forces, um, which is based on main characters and driving forces in books five and six, but is a conglomeration of a bunch of different characters, which she can handle because she's an absolutely st brilliant, brilliant, brilliant once in a generation actress. And we'll talk for sure about Kara G. Um, uh, as well as her actually real life uh, friendship uh, with the guy who plays uh, Marco Anaros. Um, uh, but, anyways, um, they came through in the clutch mostly, and I can't wait to rewatch these episodes and talk about them. Uh, I'm for sure going to assume, uh, final comment, I'm for sure going to assume you've seen these seasons. Um, my sort of big meta critique, which I'll just say now and get over with, is that I can't believe they stopped. I know this has been a hard project, and it's been on and off, and they've had to fight for it, and COVID and everything, and Six Seasons is a lot, but books seven and eight, um, and, you know, they finished it off with nine, but really seven and eight, even though it's a jump in the future, is the battle with the, you know, rogue Martian to become the Laconian Empire, but they're so powerful, and they're using the proto-molecule technology to dominate all of the galaxy and, and all the human systems. Um, really takes it to a new level of space opera um, and consequences when it comes to dealing with aliens and just the cosmic stuff in general. It goes to a new level when you realize how old this conflict is, and even the proto-molecule people might have been fighting their own battle against them more ancient enemy and and so on and so forth uh i felt that they should have continued the series all the way to the end um but i don't want to fully spoil the uh, books seven eight and nine um because i want you to read them so i will mostly tease things that happen early on uh like the invasion of the laconians and then the coup of people like holden and bobby and the belters and so forth um and uh s some of the general political themes I'm not going to ruin the story for you, um, uh, but uh, let's just say, um, and we'll get into the countdown here, that <laughs> as compelling as the Marco story is, and it did lead to genocide and could have led to the destruction of the solar system, was actually sort of a, a ploy by the, the rogue Martians, later the Laconians, uh, to distract and allow them to get into their own system and develop high technology so that they could come back and dominate, you know, decades down the road. Um, just an amazing distraction, which is where Marco gets all his ships and everything. Okay, shut up, Bizzle. I said I wasn't going to do a long intro. So, uh, here is the time to go to uh, Prime Video, The Expanse, Season 5, Episode 1, Exodus. Um, and I have not watched these in a while. I definitely watched them a couple times when they came out. Uh, the few episodes of season six, I can't believe it's so short still. And we'll get to that. Uh, I may have only seen once or twice, uh, but it has been a little bit of a while since I've seen these. Uh, so you're going to want to queue up, uh, your season five, episode one, Exodus from the experience files to zero hours, zero minutes, zero seconds. I'm going to count from three to two to one. I'm going to say go. And when I say go, you should hit play. Uh, I'm going to do a seven count so you can see the counter, uh, skip through whatever ad, you know, Prime Video throws like a little ad for their own stuff beforehand. So skip through that. I'm talking about, you know, zero minutes, zero hours, zero seconds uh, uh, of the actual um, 
uh, expand show file, uh, and I'll do a seven count, and we'll hopefully line up in terms of the, the the first seven seconds. It's 51 minutes, 35 seconds long. Hopefully you can get an HD. I am watching it on my MacBook, um, but just because it has a beautiful screen, I actually can pick up stuff on this I don't usually, uh, and uh, it's late night, and so I'm in the living room and just hanging out and watching some expands, doing some commentaries, and uh, looking forward to where this is going. So, all right, here we go. Season 5 of The Expanse, and it is time for the countdown. And 3, 2, 1, and go. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Here we go. Right, and here's season 4 revelations, which were huge about the builders, the ring gates, the true... Uh, nature of the we had called the proto molecule. Now we're connected to all these galaxies, all these systems. Bobby. Yep. We don't get the. Uh, we get Bobby maturing and becoming more human in four, even though she's not in book four. Yes, Monica, this woman is awesome. She's all over the internet and a big fan favorite. She's fantastic. There's Monica the reporter, who's mostly an ally, but does give them a hard time. Yeah. This is more hinted in the book that he's her husband's taking more space the more political she gets. Oh man, Keon Alexander as Marco. It's not a perfect fit in the book, but he brings his own dark, dangerous, scary, sexy charisma. That's perfect for the show. Um, and honestly, between him and Kara G, oh god, David Strathairn was amazing in season four. I almost wanted to do season four just for the side stories of Bobby and especially David Strathairn and Kara G. Drama. There we go, rock number five. This is it. This sets it all up. This sets up how careful they're trying to plan the bombardment of Earth with the asteroid, you know, nuclear bombs, basically, in the form of asteroids, and how involved Philip, the son of Marco, and Naomi, um, but who's been with Marco forever and is one of his lead thugs now, essentially. How important. Ooh, that's a lot uh, how important he was, but also how far he's gone. And uh, I'm just going to get it out right now. One of my critiques in season one of The Expanse was that they made Naomi pretty weak uh, and just hard to get behind at times in the first few seasons of The Expanse in a way that's not true in the book and that they would unleash her in the final few seasons. The problem is the sort of... Uh, pain porn that she goes through, tortured by Marco and his people, and her own son, and then having to pretend she's dead in space, and, you know, and, and just acting silently like Sandra Bullock in Gravity and so forth, and surviving in space is all in the book, and is equally painful trying to get through in the book, to be honest with you, but it's part of her journey. Uh, and I'll just start it right here. One of the many, many, many reasons to read books 7, 8, and 9 is to see Naomi finally get her due um, as, uh, well, one of, uh, one of the leaders of, of mankind when they faced a truly 
existential human threat, the Laconians, the rogue Martians, come back as you know, Stalinists or whatever. Uh, she has to become the leader of the, the wider rebellion uh, on a level that Holden has never had to do. And he's a prisoner during most of that time. And so she has to take the lead role, but even more so. Um, so here's the invasion. So I'm going to say it right now. I know book five and book six basically by heart, especially book five. Um, and while this scene... Uh, it's not in book five because book five is the one and only book where it's the four Rosanante members perspectives the entire book it's Alex yeah here's Filipito me psycho Marco son um uh, is that Amos, Alex, Naomi, and Holden? I mean, Holden always has his own chapters, but the other three uh, get their own chapters just as much or more so. The Alex story is amazing. The story with Peaches, aka Clarissa Mao, and Amos is amazing. Uh, to see what's happening on Earth and see Amos's background, Clarissa's the beginning of her uh, reconciling her life and, and trying to gain redemption. Yeah, you know they're gonna shoot all these guys. Boom. It's the expanse. It's prime. It's what would happen. Philip doesn't even think twice about it. You can tell he's done this a bunch of times. And I think up here they lose their own guy. And he easily sacrifices him. And it's not that he sacrifices his guy. And how quickly he kind of gives up on it. And just says, you take taking one for the team. See you later, buddy. Uh, as he's stuck to the station or whatever happens. Uh, but it's sort of the how easy the decision is for this young leader, Philip. Uh, why, again, why they should be surprised with Marco, I don't know. Oh, boom, they're jumping back. This is great. Are they going to jump back all the way into the, the theme music? Oh, uh, here's the... Um, yeah... They got uh, stuff lying at the station. But anyways, you know, it's just interesting that the one book that's so personal and, and the one book where the crew scattered, you know, again, things normally I wouldn't love, especially starting the sci-fi series, but because I was familiar with the characters and had seen the first four books within the first four seasons, essentially, at least, you know, the, the big parts, although I would go back and read the books later, I actually just love the structure of it because they all have such exciting stories, but they're all written so different. It's just masterful sci-fi writing, especially dialogue and inner thoughts. And then Babylon's Ashes, uh, which is unfortunately in very shortened form in season six because it's kind of a more epic story um, in the books uh, with Babylon's Ashes, book six. Um, I was hooked forever and then couldn't believe, you know, to get into books five and six and have them be arguably your best and then to get into books seven and eight and have them be arguably your best or up there with the Laconia saga, I guess seven, eight, nine. Um, and now they're done. It, it's just unprecedented. I mean, you know, I've read Raymond Feist, a million fantasy books. Here he is leaving them there. Filipito smiling. He's almost happy for the guy. Boom. So, you know, the fact that Prime made the, the, the expenses, uh, special effects, you know, top-notch Hollywood level, um, 
This is actually one of the main <laughs> causes or reasons why it took such a quality jump. But you add that to the better filming, the better pacing, the better casting, the better writing, the more subtle performances from characters, the more appropriate character performances at times, the less misleading of, of character and plot, red herring stuff, which I hate when it's done too much, it insults the intelligence of the watcher, just every level. You almost don't notice that really, really, really good special effects have gone to spectacular special effects because, you know, all the important, uh, not that the effects are not important. There's Kerji. And Keanu Alexander, buddies in real life. Drummer and, uh, and Marco. We'll get back to that. Josai is, uh, is uh, Philip, Filipito. And Shari, of course, is uh, Christian Avasarala. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, when awesome special effects is like, you know, doesn't even have to be your calling card because the drama and character stuff is so great that you know you've succeeded in science fiction. That was the key with, with Battlestar. Yes, the huge battles between the base stars and the battle stars was awesome. And Starbucks, you know, heroics and so forth. But ultimately, is all the stuff in the middle that makes it uh, great. Okay, here's Tycho Station. Um, and uh, I'm going to talk about books five and book six as if it was just one giant book, because it basically is a part one, part two kind of thing, Two Towers, Return of the King, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, and they treat season five and season six the same way, uh, which is why shortened season six works, because it's really season five and a half, and they just do a, you know, a season and a half uh, for the final two books, which is fine. Um, and so I'm going to talk about it in the same way as if it's one long story. Fred Johnson does indeed die um, <laughs> for the cause uh, during the extended part of the arc. It's much later than happens here. It's not on the base. He's actually on his ship in a fight where they almost beat Marco and they don't. Uh, and I love that they work this into the series down the road is, you know, one of the main beats is they're about to, they've blown up Marco's uh um, a little fleet uh, that's chasing them, a uh, holding ship that is, the Rosinante, uh, with its extended crew. Uh, side note, uh, Sakai is a man, they made him a woman, the big betrayer, uh, but the intensity of hatred to Fred Johnson, and but also the fact that you know, she hides it so well is very reflective of the, the uh, male version of the character in the books, even though it's portrayed differently. She's actually tougher than that guy, um, and important to sell. The deep-seated extremism that nevertheless they've learned to hide among the Marco supporters and also Naomi's blindness um, because she loves a lot of these characters but sometimes hard to tell the difference on you know even knowing Sakai and knowing uh, Karaji's character drummer it's sometimes hard to separate between the two when you're uh, Naomi the gata and she is a hero amongst them Alex and Nemo, so both off station. Right, so in the book, you know, it's very funny. They have time to do this. It, it, again, you don't have to, I won't keep repeating that in the book with all the pages and it's two books, you have time to talk about them thinking about going off the station and then leaving the station. Okay, here's Bull, who's not a great character in his original form in book three of The Expanse and equally just an annoying Earth. I hate Belters, but I live with Belters characters. Sideman to Fred Johnson in this one. 
the actor actually does a much better job with the material than it deserves, uh, which saves it. Um, and as a sort of uh, less I- intelligent Fred Johnson clone, uh, with Fred being killed and out of the picture, it kind of makes sense. Um, there's no real payoff with him eventually, other than he stops calling them skinnies. <laughs> right. But, the, but the, right, so you've got the two belters going at each other in a friendly, competitive way, and then you've got the earther, you know, he knows that Naomi is, you know, he's as much belter as she is earther, which is a lie in both cases, despite what they say, and so he can really go at her, because everyone loves to, you know, <laughs> take a knock at James Holden, even though they ultimately love him, it's fun to, to troll Holden, and so you get to troll Naomi as part of that, and, and it builds the comfort with Sakai's character, it doesn't really matter if it if you see Sakai's turn or not, because it's the performance after the capture with the interrogations and so forth, how extreme she is, that's important. Um, you know, I mean, what can you say about Fred Johnson? I mean, Cuddy just completely nails this out of the park. Um, right. He actually, in the book, I uh, was revisiting the early books uh, recently, um, they start this, I think, in the first book is the beginning, although it's kind of mysterious and you don't know the context. Um, all the way back to the first book, Leviathan Wakes, uh, is uh, Naomi trying to make a sort of backroom deal. <laughs> um, he played here by Dominique Tipper, who's fantastic, um, with Fred Johnson to find the son. Um, ultimately, he does it just as a favor because by this point, this far, in, 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 whether you want to look at it as the uh, the show or the books, <laughs> here's shirtless Stephen Strait. The ladies love that. Um, you know, it, they're basically on the same team. And by the time Fred dies in the book, even though it happens much later than it happens here, it's kind of for the same reason. It's Marco's people. Oh, as I was saying. Uh, they're about to take out Marco's actual ship with Marco, and Marco really brilliantly uh, connects to Holden, who's trying to stall, and shows Holden a picture of Philip, and it's the first time he's straight on seen Naomi's son, and he's in love with Naomi, and never wants to do anything to hurt her, and so maybe ill-advisedly disarms the torpedo, and and Bobby, being you know a brilliant uh, warfare specialist and and uh, weapons ops person, hits Marco with the torpedo but it's been disarmed by Holden anyways Amos figures it out later on later on briefly loses faith in Holden they have to have a a, a man-to-man about it and they do that in the show and it's great um because it's it's almost impossible moral quandary about what you would do in that situation seeing Philip uh and they should be dead but of course it leads it's like not killing Ultron in Age of Ultron it just causes more problems and more deaths uh, or not killing the Joker and Batman, uh, but you know, the son's involved, it, it's a big deal. Yeah, the information's getting out about the builders, and people are just going to be confused and scared at this point. I mean, there's really no other way. Um, uh, but I will say that Naomi, uh, you know, at times getting extremely frigid, um, even to Holden, especially to Holden, it hurts the most with him. He's so sensitive and so in love with her. Uh, in the books, she, in fact, before going on her attempted Philip reclamation project, taking it back from Marco, which fails miserably, and results in the sort of space pain porn that I was mentioning earlier, 
Um, uh, straight up says to Holden, I'm doing this. I'm leaving. Don't ask me. I'm not going to tell you. I'll talk to you later. And Holden lets her do it. But it, it obviously, it, it causes him great strain. And again, the feeling of being so left out uh, in, in the dark with someone you've been so close with for so long. And she can have her secrets, but for her specifically to be like, I'm not telling you this big secret, don't ask me, and I don't know if I'll see you again later, um, is sort of a dick move by Naomi and really screws with his head, uh, but also tests his leadership. And he gets close with Fred Johnson on, uh, uh, you know, in book five. Um, old woman, sad. He, yeah, he has such a he has such a protective thing for women, especially vulnerable women and older women, women like his his ex mama, who he's gonna he's try and see through. I mean, that's why he's going back to Earth. Is the one person who took care of him when he was like a child prostitute and helped raise him uh, is dead, um, and they're still in their horrible environment in Baltimore, and so he's gonna go there and you know try and do something for her. So here comes the. Uh, Belters threatening Belters for money and Amos getting extremely violent as he normally would be in this situation. Um, It is partially out of uh, messianic. I'm going to protect the weak complex, but it's mostly just an excuse that he can morally justify beating the shit out of these people um, because they do deserve it, and it does result in them not stealing anymore. Uh, And so it can be resolved in his head and justified, uh, justifiable action. Um, And uh, while uh, the relationship between Wes Chatham, the actor of Amos, uh, and uh, Clarissa Mao... Um, which you don't see coming in the books if you start from the beginning, which I eventually did, to get to Clarissa Mao after she was a terrorist who tried to take down the Rosanante crew and literally killed them and discredited them, played by Nadine Nicole, who's so brilliant. Um, Like in the books, the performances on the screen version uh, in this arc with Amos down on Earth uh, after the apocalypse uh, with uh, Nadine Nicole as um, uh, as the uh, surviving Mao sister, Clarissa Mao, is just as gripping as in the, as in the books. Um, but it's tough because they're two very, very violent and very, very damaged people. And also, you see the you know what you expect to see on Earth in a sort of post V for Vendetta or Children of Men scenario. But this is Earth wide with the asteroid attacks and you know everyone for themselves not enough food not enough shelter uh etc and so forth um is also exhausting like Naomi um and the two best uh even though all four crew members have uh extremely unique and life-defining and and uh you know legendary life journeys uh in in book five season five as they separate uh, before they thankfully get back together after a lot of struggling um of course let me just get out of the way i mentioned in the intro cast anvar does not die at the end of this um very much he does not die he becomes more the heart of the team his relationship with bobby their platonic friendship uh, in the books is my favorite thing. Those two are my favorite um, characters in the books, and the Cassandvar thing really—it was—it was hard to, to tune out the negativity because it was so clear that they were 
doing as little casts as, as possible. <laughs> He's brushing his teeth. <laughs> Make sure to have fresh breath before beating the shit out of these guys. Um, the decision to not actually show this fight, to just show him having like a schizo. Um, I don't know if schizo is really the right word. Right. You see the first and then you see little bits. Do you not see anything? Yeah. You just see that. And then you see him bloody, and they're all probably dead or close to dead on the ground. Oh, here we go. He's thinking of it. Right. So he's, he, you know, he's actively experiencing PTSD and flashbacks, like, right now. He's still a soldier. Still going through that. Oh, boy. Does another reason to... I wish they'd done book 7, 8, and 9 is Amos becomes such a different character because of circumstances in some ways. Comes like a god, is all I'll say. Here is Holden being left totally alone. I love this scene. I love this scene. And we'll get to the fact that, again, Fred Johnson gets killed much earlier than in the books, but it is by Marco's people in, in with the spirit of why and how he's killed in the books. But these two are great together because they're always kind of flirty, but they, uh, they distrust... You know, they're the smartest people in the room. They have some very similar agendas, some very different agendas, and some which are up for grabs. And I remember watching this, and uh, you watch the interview with Stephen Strait uh, 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 from when, uh, so Ty Frank, one of the James Corey writers, and uh, Wes Chatham have now for a number of years done a, a podcast. It started to cover seasons five and six, but they went back and watched all the episodes, and they bring in all the actors, and they do interviews, and they hang out on their couches, and they talk about the expanse and the experience. But this this little tidy uh, woman who's very talented and actually has had some very cool roles on TV and horror stuff and so forth... Um, big tall buff Stephen Strait talked about he yeah just like in the book she lies about having the camera in her eye I think they do this in the book he in he, I don't think he buys for a second that she's uh, camera free but he talks about how terrified he is in season two or three when she first appears in the story covering them to go to the behemoth and the first crossing, you know, into the slow zone and, and uh, uh, the, the, the alien gates and so forth, the Clarissa Mouse story, et cetera, et cetera. And one of her cameramen turns out to be one of Clarissa's agents. But they decided, um, you know, there was going to be two characters that got way more material than in the book. Uh, one was going to be Kara G playing drummer, but while drummer is awesome and a badass in the book, uh, it, uh, it's not until book seven and eight when she becomes a big political leader um, uh, that you really get inside drummer's head. Um, and so what they did was they took uh, the storyline and character line. This is great. She eats her his noodles. Yes. See, this is this is what makes a show, and this is why uh, Anna uh, Graves, I believe her name is. Uh, I follow her online. Anna Hopkins, excuse me, is so great. You know, she's in his face the whole time. She's getting increasingly pissed at Holden as it goes on. I guess Naomi hasn't left yet. Here she's looking up the information to get the ship to give to her son. She has this whole plan, and it all goes to shit. And that's important for her character. This is the last time she's ever... She's so reckless in this 
mission of hers is she's very 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 cautious and very very smart after all this um and it's just a miracle she survives uh but it's a it's a tale of human survival uh and that's the sort of uh gravity-esque space uh suffering survival thing oh here's the razorback so anyways here we have i think alex flying the razorback uh, right but in the books uh um uh, Avasarala had so they you know after the mouths were disposed you know Julie's dead Jules is buried in the ground and Clarissa ultimately is buried in the ground until Amos digs her up um, in here we're not going to talk about Cassandvar you know like I can still watch the Avengers with Joss Whedon's a creep I can still watch the Expanse even though Cass is a creep um, it helps that again as good as he is at, at times and I praise him a lot in the first season um the, the book version is more interesting, more lovable, and the Jefferson Mays uh, audiobook work is um, is superior. And so you don't really have to worry about it because you just go to the audiobooks and go with the the you know very flawed um, but very human and ultimately centered and grounded Alex Kamal uh, that you hoped for. Uh, Bobby, um, in the books, is less, way less of a hard-ass. She's a badass with a little bit of a hard-ass in the books, but she's mostly a badass who actually has kind of the southern twang in, in her uh, personality, if not so much her voice, as Alex Kamal does. Uh, and they just, as uh, two Martians who have seen everything, are just natural best friends once they have to go through stuff uh, in this uh in, in, in book five and um, they spend almost all of book five together uh it's, it's my favorite arc um with the <laughs> friend johnson monica holden arc uh, right below it as the two that i just listen to on their own and they're so great that's the thing about book five is you can actually uh just listen to one or two of the arcs all the way through depending on your mood and get the whole story because well the apocalypse is scary and you get you know halfway two-thirds through you get the big marco speech that declares a war um officially on the radical opa versus everybody else uh, it's mostly character study stuff but we knew i mean you know <laughs> it was so obvious from the beginning part of the reason uh, the you know, they introduced Frankie Adams as uh, Draper, Bobby Draper, early in season two, even though we're still in book one, uh, whereas she doesn't appear in the books until book two, uh, but she's a major character. But we knew Frankie Adams was an unbelievable talent. She's getting lots of other work. Other people see it. She's still extremely young, born 1994 from New Zealand, um, and uh, she uh, has a Taika Waititi movie that's coming out about the New Zealand women's soccer team, and we just tell she was awesome. Um, they drive her to be a little bit too much of a badass, especially because she's kind of feminine and flighty and, and funny and quirky in real life. So, you know, she's putting on the, the I should say, the tight ass um, when she should be putting on more of the badass, I, I think. Um, but again, her performance and just her relationship with Christian, in particular, Avasarala, um, which is the important thing, is so on point, it feels so real, uh, whether you've read the books or not, that it just doesn't matter. That's a slightly different version because the relationships are there, and just like this relationship is there. 
you know, I mean, the main reason, honestly, I didn't want Fred Johnson to die um, this early was not because, you know, I wanted it to be closer to the book or I wanted more time just with Fred Johnson, but I did want more time with Fred Johnson and Holden because seeing their joint reactions as some OPA minor terrorist attacks go to major attacks, go to Marco and Naros, you know, and I got to put the station on lockdown and, you know, and everything. Um, and now I have to decide whose side of the OPA I'm on. Am I going to sit with Earth and Mars against my own people? Having those discussions, both personally and professionally, they get a decent amount through here uh, in a few episodes before they take them down. Oh, yeah, LV. That's the thing. LV from Season 4 is so good. Another reason you guys got to read Book 7, 8, and 9 is LV the scientist ends up becoming like the major scientific advisor to the Laconians. Uh, because of uh, actually because of Holden who's a political prisoner but he pushes her in there to try and stir things up because she's a truth teller as well as a brilliant scientist uh, and indeed she has that effect um, and becomes one of the major heroes and is just a great character uh, and is also one of those cases where um, I don't know who decided who was going to sound like who when but the LV in this show sounds a lot like the Jeff Jefferson Mays audiobook LV and the personalities are so aligned that it's like of course you see her in your head um, and then you come back and like Fred uh, Johnson here uh, played, by, played by Cuddy um, you just you you know Chad Coleman. Uh, I'm sorry, as uh, Lucius Johnson, as Fred Johnson, um, Chad Coleman. They're so aligned with the characters, despite writing uh, deviations, that you can't not see them in your head. I I never don't see Chad Coleman in my head, um, and uh, but anyways. So like I said, the the people they were gonna push up front. Uh, more than the books earlier on was Kara G as drummer uh, who is important in the books but not nearly as early as they start introducing her and then by of course seasons 4, 5, and 6 she's a major main 1A character um, actually in the final final season arguably more than a 1A character on top of the Rosanante crew how important she is when she turns anti-Marco and starts turning Belcher's anti-Marco um uh even though, um, yeah, as, as I keep trying to get to, um, uh, drummer personality-wise and even accent-wise is quite similar, but she's also a, co a conglomeration of Michio Pa. And Michio is one of the young women on uh, Drummer's crew. I believe she's actually the one who leaves because Joseph Bofmos dies, another one of their lovers, and their polyamorous thing they got going on. Right, OPA's Police in the Belt. Okay, back to the show. We haven't talked about it at all. I've been raving about the actors and the writing. Yep, he still has the proto-molecule again. And this is the thing. And this is, you know, this is the big failure of uh, of Holden um, and Fred Johnson together. They're making so much progress in a lot of ways. Um but the mutually assured destruction thing with the proto-molecule, you know, I mean, you know, look, in the show, they make it Naomi's thing that gave it to Fred Johnson, and then everyone else accepts it. I don't know why they decided morally to put it on her, where in the books, it's the whole crew, but definitely holding in agreement that Fred Johnson should have it as a, 
as uh, you know the major playing card um uh, the major trump card i should say to play to support uh, in uh, dire situations uh, the belt um it, it makes more sense when the whole crew's behind it or at least hold in and not just naomi um but that's less of an issue than the fact that they're still holding on to it and they think it's safe just sitting in, Ch- in chad johnson um sorry chad coleman um uh, in uh I keep wanting to say Cuddy, um, in Fred Johnson's office. Um, and, uh, you know, it's undeniable that the ghost in the shell, very heavily ghost in the shell influenced, uh, sort of Tachikoma, uh, spider bot creature that comes in and takes them down, um, with some OPA soldiers, um, uh, uh is one of the coolest visuals of the entire series, and they really pulled off something that even looks better uh, than similar versions in, in like, the Ghost in the Shell movie and so forth, which looks spectacular, whatever you want to say about it. I happen to love it. Um, uh, but the spider attack looks great here. Um, Alex's alienation and his realization about how far Mars has fallen um, is so key in the book. And here... Um, uh, but it's so key in the book because he's such a patriot. He can't possibly imagine that Mars would be on the down um, after, you know, uh, I should say before this series, you think it's on the up. I don't think he knows he has a kid in the book. I always forget that because uh, in this here he didn't know for a while. Um, but yeah, in the book, after Amos says he's going to go home and, and fix some stuff, uh, uh, Alex gets the wrong idea about going home and fixing stuff. He thinks he can mend fences and just feel better about his divorce and estrangement from his ex-wife. It's a huge failure uh, and ultimately just gets his head back into the, you know, the game of saving the galaxy with Bobby Draper. Uh, and, they, and they force it in the book. It's very realistic in great drama. Um, but Bobby gets attacked and almost killed because she's digging so deep into this Martian conspiracy. Alex doesn't want to believe it because he's such a patriot. But after the attack on Bobby um, and, and the clear conspiracy that's going on with certain generals and stuff, they start exploring it. This is book five. Um, and that leads to them having a whole adventure throughout the story and being the ones that really drive uh, the beginning of the war um, uh, of rebel Martians and rebel, uh, or I should say, you know, extremist OPA, people like Marco, using Martian technology um, uh, to, to, you know, to launch the war, the greater war, including going after both Avasarala and uh, definitely the Martian Prime Minister, taking out everyone. Um, you know, as horrible as is is uh, Marco's attempted genocide was, uh, or or is, and continues to be on Earth as he launches rocks at it. You know, the Martians are just doing using him as a distraction for the Laconian Empire, but you got to read book 7, 8, and 9 to get that stuff. It doesn't really matter, because this battle's been coming for a while, and as I commented in season 1, uh, they set up the Belter anger and tension, um, not just in terms of screen-to-book time, uh, but in terms of um, intensity uh, and how in-your-face it is in season 1 and 2 and so forth, early seasons, more so than in the early books where they kind of talk about it more than we see it, even though we meet Fred Johnson early, we don't really see the, the Belter anger 
except through Miller's eyes. Um, and it was really a great choice in the show to do it. That uh, was one of those choices in, in season one. Uh, and they got a lot of stuff right in season one, uh, which informed my disappointment with two and even more in three and lost me briefly until I came back in four and loved it and, you know, loved the last few seasons. This is very on point here. He ch- he's trying to forget about his horrible day, having Bobby have some fries and some beers and she's uh she's weirded out um you know this all i i I really don't want to harp on Cass um and i'm going to try and talk about alex in the book instead um but this is one of those things where when we thought Cass was lovable and you know actually a perfect casting for alex in my opinion initially this just seems like you feel bad for him for being so out of touch and being you know hopelessly optimistic in a way that's you know she finds almost juvenile and, and turns her off and lots of things that are reflected in the book uh whether it's an echo or a more direct translation now you look at Cass and he's just being a creep and she's responding to him being a creep um it's hard to know I don't uh, the way the uh, the cast and crew and producers responded to Cass as being a big creep because it didn't happen on the Expanse side. That's important to say, just in terms of the Expanse, as it happens in video game stuff and online weirdness that he did. Um, they didn't actually know. Um, and so this is, <laughs> you know, this is for sure, uh, I think, in terms of the filming and what's on screen here, Bobby uh, Draper played, um, uh, you know, again, as a harder ass, but because of the great actor um, and casting um, of uh, Frankie Adams, is super cool as her own form of Bobby. She's somewhat traumatized. It's more just that she's, when you see her on screen, she's just so big and intense. Um, and she's just has more sort of comedic one-liners that relieve some tension in the book. It's not so far. But anyways, the point is, She's just being Frankie Adams as Bobby there. Um, and even though they have to fake, or not fake kill, even though they have to kill after the fact with post-production uh, cast in this season so they can have a sixth season without us having to see him and think about him, uh, you just have to remember that, you know, actors are actors, and, uh, you know, none of them probably talk to cast now, and they're all horrified by it, as we all are, uh, but, you know, when they were on screen for most or all of the series, um, you know, he was their acting mate, and, and they had great chemistry with him, and it's obvious on screen, um, it's just one of those things we have to accept, there's tons of creeps, Hollywood, um, yeah. So this is actually, you know, we. I talked in season one. Yeah, she tells him here. This is so different. So th- this is actually, I talk about Naomi gets done dirty in the early seasons in terms of not fleshing her out as much and making her a little bit weaker and kind of dumber than she is in the book where she's never weak or dumb, even though vulnerable. Uh, but this is actually a case where it, she's actually way more mature than in the books. It almost, it doesn't make sense in the book. It doesn't make sense in the book. Five, it's the one thing that doesn't make sense. And it starts right away. And because it, it, it uh, initiates a, it, an even more powerful neurosis, 
uh, in self-questioning inside Holden than he's ever experienced before because she's not telling him anything and won't answer his calls, as he says, you know, like a bunch of teenagers. Uh, it's great for storytelling in that medium, but Naomi actually telling him that it's about Philip and Marco um, and, and that she has to try and do this, um, but it's too much for him to come along. This is a much more mature and much more self-aware Naomi. Now, again, in the books, after she fails miserably and barely survives this whole ordeal, she grows incredibly, becomes the reason they win this war, ultimately, at the end of book six, in a very unconventional way that I happen to like. I like when they win wars with science and not just bombs. Maybe not everyone does. We'll get back to that later. Um, but... Ultimately, that with Holden as a political prisoner, uh, by the end of Book 7, when they're fighting the Laconians and everyone kind of scattered, but then for needing to form a belter-based, uh, but including um, patriotic Martians and the Earthers that are left alive, as much as they hate each other, they have to form a union of, of the revolution, uh, like, you know, like the rebellion in Star Wars. Uh, which is both strengthened by its, um, uh, it's both strengthened, ooh, what's going on here? Which is both strengthened by its diversity, um, and made vulnerable. Um, she becomes basically the Admiral, uh, and that's what I'll say. I mean, uh, you know, she doesn't like the title, and she has so many political, uh, and sort of, you know, terroristic responsibilities, um, or I should say, you know, she's trying to limit the terrorism, uh, but knows that she has to support the rebellion. It's not always the same thing, and it's, you know, as we see with the Rogue One and Andor, it's sometimes hard to tell the difference between the freedom fighters and the rebels and the terrorists, you know? Mm, look how beautiful this is. This is just great space porn. This is great space porn. This is like after you play hundreds of souls in surviving Mars and have terraformed, or I, I shouldn't say terraformed, settled the whole moon. Uh, or Mars. Uh, it's so cool. Look at that. That's a very long shot uh, and lots of swelling music. I think they went to get their money's worth in that shot. But right into the maglev here, which is so convincing. Um, this is like the, uh, um, you know, there was a few tricks. As corny as like some of the graphics uh, special effects are, oh, this is great. This is great here and in the book. It's better in the book because you have more time. Uh, to do this whole bit, but Amos gets stopped, not because he's a sketchy background or he's catching guns, uh, or, or so forth, uh, but because Avasarala gets wind that he's here, and Christian knows them so well by now, that she thinks he's on some, some mission for Holden that she has to know about. It's great. And he has such a thing for Christy. Who doesn't? Shari Agadashi, who's absolutely stunning older lady. Uh, and calls her Chrissy, and she claims she hates it, but they flirt all the time. Fuck you, Burton, you know? Here she is, yes. She's on a giant screen, like John Hurt and V for Vendetta, you know, doing like a fake Big Brother thing in the book, but you got to do this in the show. You look amazing, yeah. Look at her, she loves it. Oh, I love this relationship, it's so good. He continues to call her Chrissy, and she continues to tell him to go fuck himself, but she's all, he's also the one that can really make her laugh. Um, and after all of the genocide and horribleness goes down this season at the end, I don't know if they do it in the show, but in the book, uh, when 
he has to almost threaten her people not to board his ship because not only does he have Clarissa Mao on there, who's, you know, a criminal for life as a murderer and terrorist and and despite circumstances should still not be on the moon free but he also has eric and all of his gummy or you know just underground underhanded uh rogues outlander folks from baltimore from his childhood in there and it's just going to be a lot of arrests that no one really wants to make. And he makes that point to her, and she gives into it. And then they just start talking, and he asks about her family. And, you know, her, her daughter and granddaughters are okay. Thanks for asking. Her husband, I remain praying for him. He, of course, dies. Um, we never hear from him again. Uh, member of Parliament, not your favorite stripper. What does he say? You could be both, right? In the book, he says there's there might be room for both. I think she laughs a little bit more, but she's clearly laughing in her eyes and on the inside here. They're so flirty, right? And that's what's great about this whole interrogation is part of it is definitely because she's worried about her connection to the Rosinante and he's the killer. And if he's back here, let's put it this way, if he's back here on behalf of James Holden and she doesn't know, there's some major mission going on and she needs to know about it. This guy's an interesting character. It's the Doubting Thomas. Um, they have great personal chemistry. This is a writing problem with him. Uh, the, the actor and the early writing and portrayal and, and uh, performance make him seem more perceptive than he ultimately is, which is just a chest-pounding uh, Earther patriot. Um, but look at her. <laughs> she's, she's feeling like a lady, like a young lady with... With Amos, it's great. She wanted, she wanted just the flirting with Amos. I was gonna say as much as the interrogation. Um, he's great because he's the encouraging her, um, and uh, you know, there's the uh, the joke that doesn't get told about the Martian and the Earther and the and the Belter and the bar that pays off later. Um, but like Bull, who they shoehorned into this. Uh, later part of the series, after, you know, not really using him in the uh, behemoth uh, book three story, where he belongs uh, in terms of the books, this guy's a little shoehorned in. Um, I would have gone uh, much further the other way, because she's hesitant. She, look... I keep wanting to say Shari. Uh, Avasarala has been right about her suspicions about Marco, or at least his type of people, going all the way back to the first season and all the way back to her first appearance in the books, which is book two. Um, but it's basically the beginning of the, of the book series in terms of it getting going with book two and Caliban's war. Also the introduction of Bobby um, and, there, and there's two relationship. There's, I mean, you know... <laughs> In the middle of the Trump era, this season got, uh, in terms of reviews on Amazon, IMDb, got bombed by uh, male assholes who didn't want to see, you know, so much uh, Sandra Bullocking in space performance from Dominique Tripper, apparently. Um, it's painful to watch, but it's absolutely virtuosic. Uh I, I mean, proves she's a great actress, even if you don't think she's a good one uh, yet. I mean, 
it's almost impossible to deny after this, so I, I'll never understand that. Other than it's just hard to watch. Um, but that's points to the actor, not points away. Here he is watching it. And because of their more mature relationship at this point in, in the TV series, uh, he, he has the look of he's still very upset and his eyes are already going distant. He's shaking his head, but he knows exactly why she's doing it. In the book, she just ups and leaves and actually makes no sense. But because everyone ups and leaves at once, that's sort of the point in the book. We see them all up and leave at once and all of it is for bad reasons. Amos is just going to get in trouble. Uh, is lucky to survive the apocalypse and uh, by rescuing Clarissa Mao, who becomes his confessor and uh, his soulmate, the same way Bobby and Alex become soulmates as friends. Um, he can't possibly know that. That's a terrible decision. Um, Alex coming back to Mars, seeing how terrible things are, not at all patching things up with previous relationships. Uh, barely even keeping his friendship going with Bobby, but luckily they do, uh, and help save the galaxy. Um, and then, of course, Naomi's very, very, very ill-informed um, decision <laughs> to go on uh, hunt for Filipito, her son, get him away from Marco. Of course, Naomi can't possibly imagine. She doesn't think Marco's as smart or capable as he is, uh, at least in the early part of this war. Here's the... Uh, one of the uh, elegies of uh, Clinton Shorter, the amazing composer, stretched out as we see a little bit of a montage, uh, but very subtle, of the actors. Um, and like I said, normally in a first book of a sci-fi series where you love seeing the crew together, the last thing you would want is seeing the crew separate early on. But all of their stories are so compelling, as we'll see in this season. And I'd already seen the first four seasons where you'd mostly seen them together. Okay, here's Marco, uh, that it's sold to me. Right, so she's been right about Marco the whole time. But she's not in a position to make the final decision. Um... And in the episode three, which is one directed actually by um, Thomas Jane, who's brilliant, 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 where the asteroids are actually launched and the prime minister is killed and, uh, and so forth, the young Asian lady who had knocked um, uh, Shore, <laughs> I'm sorry, who had knocked Avasarala, Avasarala out of power. Um, here's Marco stirring up the troops. And I like that they show Keon Alexander as Marco here in a calm studying the uh, uh, tactical situation as he gives the speech. But, you know, the thing that just works better in the books is he's so charismatic. I think this is it. Yeah. He's so charismatic and has actually grown as a politician within the OPA. Um, oh, thanks for watching it. Great first episode to five. Um, just to finish the previous thought, Thomas Jane directs three it is when the apocalypse starts. And uh, it's one of the great uh, directing jobs of, of all time. And they must have known something about Thomas Jane's directing skills, obviously, with him having been around and involved for so long. Um, but anyways, Marco never has to give that angry speech uh, in the book because it's sold by the fact that everyone, um, from at least in the beginning, um, everyone uh, uh, from uh, Michio Pa, um, uh, Fred Johnson hates, even though they used to be allies and she was, you know, his uh, disciple. Um, everyone from Michio Pa to Anderson Dawes, 
um, and a lot of other powerful or well-respected uh, men and women, old and young, uh, uh, leaders in the belt at first all jump behind enthusiastically jump behind uh, what Marco's doing um, he can be the dashing uh, pretty as as Bobby calls him in the book uh, he's very pretty um, uh, and just talks a lot of shit but it sounds like you know sweet sweet uh, uh, lyricism coming out of his his charismatic mouth as Keon Alexander can deliver them it and you don't have to give the charging up people's speech because you imagine that his inferiors are actually doing that. Um, uh, it just sort of makes the um, world bigger. Uh, and one of the things that the series does smartly, um, because, you know, getting a lot of actors and filming a lot of actors is as expensive or more expensive than, uh, than special effects in this day and age, actually. Uh, and so they limit the number of actors. Uh, and so on book five, um, which we're watching here in season five, uh, we just have the main four of the Rosanante in terms of, you know, whose perspective are the chapters from, because each chapter starts with the name of the character, uh, whose perspective you're experiencing. Once you get to the second part of the Marco saga in book six, Babylon's Ashes, now you're getting Philip's perspective. Now you're getting a bunch of belters, sometimes one or two off belters who we've never met, but who have important positions or just getting their perspectives. We get Naomi, um, but you know, a much different Naomi. Um, we get Bobby again, uh, who's now gone through a bunch of things and is trying to do things other than be a soldier, but ultimately just wants to, you know, serve on the Rosanante. You know, six is, um, and the other thing is, Marco starts losing almost immediately in book six in Babylon's Ashes because instead of taking his early, uh, you know, genocidal victories and then listening to the experts, he comes up with all sorts of cockamamie economic and social plans and so forth that are increasingly just not supported by reality and are, you know, like, you know, again, like Che or Fidel Castro in more extreme cases, you know, it's clearly propped up by ideology and he's come to justifications in his brain as to why they will happen. They work all that into the show. Um, I'm leave you here because I want to get into the other episodes. I want to get at least through three and get to the Thomas Jane directed three episode, uh, episode three where, where shit really hits the fan. Um, and the final war uh, begins. Um, but, uh, you know, Marco's sort of a legend before he's ever introduced. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think the big thing is, and thank you for joining me, is that the first time we meet Marco, other than hearing his name a couple times, uh, is we're in the uh, Razorback <laughs> escaping. So the Martians, the good guy Martians, are now being attacked by the Belters in rogue Martian ships that they're given uh, by the rogue Martians, who will later be the Laconians. Uh, so now all these Belters who are trying to start the big war for Marco can even attack the advanced Martian ships that are left with the good guys. They have to escape in the Razorback with the Prime Minister and Bobby and Alex. You know, they're basically saving the Prime Minister of Mars. Um, uh, and uh, uh, that's when Marco live gives his big speech to the whole galaxy and they put it on and um, Ty Frank one of the writers uh, the more public face of uh, uh, of James S. Corey, the two writers, talks about how Daniel Abraham, uh, who I haven't seen much of, uh, he's a little bit more private, um, even online, uh, is just really good at writing spe political speeches, and 
you know, the manifesto by Marco is taps into all the uh, famous um, and influential revolutionaries, good, bad, and otherwise, in our history, but while being totally applicable to this future Belter scenario, and um, is a beautiful piece of writing and an absolute beautiful piece of narration, or performance, I should say, by Jefferson Mays. Um, and so when Marco actually gives that speech uh, a few episodes down, I am going to, uh, after I, I cut it off, um, and say, ta-ta, until the next episode, I'm going to append uh, that speech as Jefferson Mays reads, re- Jefferson Mays reads it in the audiobook, um, because as, as close as the version is in the show, um, it's loyal beyond what it needs to be, even in Kent Alexander, as Marco in the show does a, a phenomenal job of it. Um, there's something just so perfect uh, about um, Jefferson Mays's version, um, and it's just nice to hear uh, what a sort of uh, more subtle Marco that you can really only get in books, uh, as opposed to these sort of high-strung, high-stakes TV series. Uh, um, you know, in, in comparison, and just show how the material is so rich that you can have multiple Marcos uh, pa- paralleling one another, um, and it's all it's you know it's all compelling in the paralleling. Um, and we'll talk more about that as we go forward and see more Keon Alexander. But he's asked to play an almost impossible role. I mean, Marco Inaros even has a Latin American name. And Cassian Andor right now with Diego Luna to tie it around to modern sci-fi is, you know, definitely channeling Mexican Revolution, but because it's Star Wars and the good guys end up being good guys in the end, despite any darkness they go through and tough choices they go through, we know Cassian is going to eventually with the Rebels and then the Rogue One crew in Jenner, so, um, uh, you know, here it, it goes the other way, um, uh, with the Che-esque revolutionary, but Keon Alexander, who's very much not Latin American, I don't believe, uh, I think he's completely Middle Eastern. I mean, to me, he looks uh, he looks totally Persian. Um, I'll have to look it up. It doesn't actually matter, um, uh, but, um, uh, it, you know, it's just different, um, because again, by the time five was done with, uh, season five was done with COVID, um, uh, delaying everything, I had read five and six many, many times, or listened to it at least many, many times, um, and so I had ideas in my head, um, he is Canadian, yeah, he's of Persian heritage, he looks totally Persian, um, he's a beautiful man, he's gorgeous, uh, and you can totally see why young Naomi and the guy that would fall in love with him, um, and ultimately, you know, the face-off between Karaji as Kamina Drummer and, and, Keon Alexander doing as Marco Inaros, you know, becomes the crux of the end of this series, and because of their limitations for number of episodes and what they could do, um, and ending it with book six, uh, slash season six, uh, I think that was actually the right choice, even though they're not, you know, the main characters when the season starts, um, but like, you know, I, I talk about with, uh, uh, Hell or High Water, one of my favorite movies, you know, Ben Foster owns that movie, should have been nominated, but in some ways the final scene, which is just Jeff Bridges and Chris Pine drinking beers next to each other, holding guns and talking about what happened without talking about what happened is the most interesting part 
uh, or an accountant, the accountant with Ben Affleck, you know, him and John Bernthal turns out to be his brother at the end and them reconnecting and all the trauma they've been through uh, for all the bad things they've done ends up stealing what's already a great movie. Um, and uh, so I, I think it's very fitting uh, that in a series that's been through so much, had to adapt to so much, um, that uh, Cass, who had to be sidelined because of his own horrible behavior, um, and Avasarala, who's spectacular, and everyone loves Shari Agadashlu, and it's a crime that she didn't you know, win more awards for this, um, it's just, you know, we already accept is, you know, perfect and, you know, should have as, as much screen time as she does. Um, we love Stephen Strait, Dominique Tipper, and Wes Chatham as, as Holden, uh, Naomi, and Amos. Um, uh, but when it came down to the Belters, it had to be about the Belters. So it had to be about Naomi in the middle, kind of, and then Kamina on one extreme going to the other, and then, um, uh, you know, Marco being uh, the um, opportunistic uh, revolutionary of the working class. Okay, I've talked too long. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, I know I had an intro on this one as well, uh, or maybe I posted that elsewhere. And we will get into Expanse. Let's see. Episode 2. Oh, The Churn. Yeah, they called The Churn, uh, which is Baltimore. Um, and uh, as both smart filmmaking decision and character decision so forth to spend spend extended times uh, with Amos on Earth uh, in order for us to finally experience Earth from one of our main characters uh, before, right before it's almost completely decimated and destroyed. Maybe it will be, you know, down the line based on the, the ecological damage uh, in his relationship with Clarissa and so forth. It's, uh, it's something special. So thank you so much for joining me. Can't wait to uh, have you join me on that and the rest of the season uh, and, and season uh, six um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. I mean, it's beautiful. It's, it's extremely well casted. It's mostly well written. It's almost always well performed. And as space operas go, you know, it's not going to top Battlestar Galactica's best moments, which is like the first two and a half to three seasons. Um, but goddamn, it's up there with Stargate Universe and Battlestar and Firefly. Um, the best ever, because it does offer some things, both in book form and in, uh, TV form, and now we got to talk actually uh, uh, later about video game form because we're getting from the Life is Strange people, uh, Deck Nine games, we're getting a sort of indie adventure game from the perspective of drummer with Karaji voicing the character. You know, I love uh, the Life is Strange games, so going into you know point and click adventure narrative storytelling mode with Karaji as drummer, who is clearly the highlight of. of uh, of, of the actors and performances in the series is, is great. So, okay, uh, then take a quick break and I'll jump into season five, episode two, The Churn. Um, and then uh, I think we'll um, release the first three at once. Uh, for, uh, the third one's called actually Mother, um, which obviously is <laughs> it's about Naomi coming face to face with, with Philip, Filipito, um, but has you know, Mother Earth, obviously, uh, very much <laughs> heavy laden, um, in its, uh, meaning unsaid. Thank you again. This is the Bizzle. You guys have been great. May the force be with you, but for now, the Bizzle is out. <laughs> 